This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. The first passage is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and verses 8 through 11. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." And for Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless." For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As you can likely tell from the scripture reading, uh, this morning's sermon is based on the Sabbath. Uh, and often uh, debated in a fairly controversial topic matter uh, within the church. But before we get into it, I want to remind you of our current sermon series. Our series is entitled Seeing and Displaying Jesus, and by that, we're basically painting the picture of a mature disciple uh, over time. We're saying that a mature disciple uh, sees Jesus and displays Jesus. A maturing Christian uh, is increasingly believing Jesus and believing in Jesus, and also living for Jesus uh, in their life. 
And so in this uh, portion of the series, uh, we're asking the question of how. How and where uh, can a Christian see Jesus? And so, of course, our ability to see Jesus is not limited to these venues and environments, but the Bible, the Bible teaches us that there are these disciplines and these rhythms and these habits that will be present in the mature Christian's life. And that these rhythms will, will be there helping the mature follower of Jesus constantly see Jesus, constantly stay focused on Jesus. And so we're in this mini-series within the series saying, where? Where can we see Jesus? And we said last week that, that we need to increasingly see Jesus, not just as our gracious Savior, but also as our sovereign Lord. That it's just good for us as those created and redeemed by God to constantly look at Him, yes, as, as gracious Savior, but also as sovereign Lord. This is just what's best for us. And we said last week that there are some rhythms and some habits and some disciplines in the Christian life that tend toward seeing Jesus as gracious Savior. Uh, worship is one of them. Uh, private worship, uh, daily private reading is one of them. Living intentional in gospel community. These are the disciplines in our lives that tend to help us see Jesus as this gracious Savior. But there are also other disciplines in the mature woman or man's life uh, that help them see Jesus as sovereign Lord to see him as divine, to see him as infinite, to see him as the creator and the sustainer of all. And so last week, we, we looked at the concept of sleep, actually sleeping, what is supposed to be like 33% of our lives. We looked at this concept of sleep, and this week we're going to look at, at the discipline and the rhythm of Sabbath. And we're, we're going to see yet again that here is another discipline that God gives to us that helps us anchor ourselves in the truth that there's a God and we're not him. Sleep and Sabbath are two of these disciplines that we can proactively put into our lives that across time will anchor us into, into our own humanity because we're anchored into God's divinity. That will anchor us in our finitude because we anchor ourselves into God's infinite reality. That there, there are these disciplines that give us deep peace in just being God's creatures and God's kids. And so again, this morning is on this biblical rhythm of the Sabbath. And preparing for this sermon on the Sabbath, it has proven to be a very difficult and a very stretching process for me. And I want to tell you a little bit of why. First, as I've already said, this is often and sometimes a hotly debated topic among theologians and among people that have been in the church for a long time. And the debate is over the relevance, uh, the relevance of the fourth commandment to the Christian's life. On the one hand, I and the teaching team at this church and our denomination, on the one hand, we clearly believe that the Sabbath command is a command that is binding on us as New Testament Christians. We believe that, that the Sabbath command deserves as much adherence and obedience from us as the other nine of the Ten Commandments. We believe that the Sabbath command is as binding for us as do not murder, and do not commit adultery, and do not create idols, and do not worship other gods. And so on the one hand, uh, I and, and most of, uh, 
I guess I and all of the leaders in our church, uh, those that are pastors and, and, and all of our denomination, except for the slight minority who have taken an exception, uh, we see the Sabbath as something directly applicable to our lives. But on the other hand, there are theologians and teachers and denominations that they will teach us that the Sabbath is not binding on us at all, that it is not relevant to our lives, that we're New Testament Christians and the Sabbath is behind us. And so in light of that, and in knowing that, I decided this week to study the original sources from both, both sides of the debate. I decided to study those sources that convinced me that the Sabbath pertains to my life, and I decided to study those sources that would argue in the opposite. But this is, this is a, a difficult and stretching sermon for me because I know that there are likely some of you out there who are going to hear me talk about the Sabbath this morning in ways that you don't understand or believe or currently practice. And so just knowing that makes this difficult for me. But another reason why this is difficult and stretching for me is at the same time, I'm not having a one-on-one conversation with someone who might disagree with me on the Sabbath. I'm talking to a room full of people where most of us are very unfamiliar with the debate. Most of us are, I would say, undertaught in general when it comes to the Sabbath because of the debate. As I talk to my friends and pastors, those who pastor other churches in our denomination and outside of our denomination, I realize that this is a topic that many have avoided for a long time. I realize that this is a topic uh, that most of us have shied away from because it's really hard work. First, it's hard work to read a couple hundred pages of theologians. Uh, That is what I felt like I needed to do to confirm my belief. Uh, Second, it's actually really hard work uh, to to preach to people who who are firmly entrenched in a belief that's contrary to yours. That's not easy to do. It's also a hard work to respond to all the email that I'll get to respond to this week from you and all the people who listen to the sermon on the podcast. It will be fun. And what's hard about this is that with this topic, unlike most weeks, there's at least four categories of people in this room. There are those who know the Bible's teaching about the Sabbath, and they generally observe that teaching. There are those who know the commandments in the Bible, and they don't observe them at all. There are, the, there are those who have actually been taught not to keep the Sabbath commands. And then again, there's a lot of us that are undertaught on the Sabbath, and the best use of our time is just Sabbath 101, an introduction to the biblical Sabbath. And so for me, since a large part of preparing a sermon is thinking about you, my audience, it's really hard for me to pack all of those people into one sermon. But third, this has proven to be a difficult and stretching process for me this week because, quite frankly, I felt significant conviction of sin in regards to this topic. As I literally studied hundreds of verses, as I literally read hundreds of pages of dense and deep theology, My position did not change at all. In fact, my position became, I I gained confidence in my position. So I didn't find that I needed to change my theology. I found that I needed to change my life. In fact, make some drastic changes in my life if my life is going to look like my theology. It's never fun to have to preach when that's the case. Finally, this has proven to be a difficult and stretching process because of what God says about the Sabbath in the Bible. On multiple occasions this week, one yesterday on the phone with Rue, uh, once last night in the middle of the night, I wanted to change the topic for this sermon. I wanted to get completely away from the Sabbath. Literally, I was like, I'll just pick something from CBR this week. I'll give a 20-minute homily. We'll all go home. And I reasoned it's not a big deal. 
Let's just avoid it. Everybody's avoiding it. Look at all the other topics in the Bible. And then I went through this phase of, I'm just going to invite people to, 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 to gain some wisdom from the Sabbath instead of in telling people that God instructs us to keep the Sabbath. And as I would, in some ways, talk to myself about that way, talk to others about that, and, and talk to God about that, one passage kept coming to my mind and keeping me from changing the topic or softening the topic. It's Exodus chapter 31. Ironically, one that I didn't have enough foresight to put in the worship folder. Let me tell you about it. In Exodus 31, God is about to send Moses down from Mount Sinai. He's given him 11 chapters of commands and instructions and guidelines and laws. And listen to the last thing God says to him as Moses is going down the mountain to see that the people have made a golden calf, okay? The last thing he says, verse 13, you are to speak to the people and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all the commands over the last 11 chapters, keep the Sabbath. Above all, above do not murder, stop working every six days. Above all, above do not commit adultery, receive rest every seventh day. And so every time I would pray to God, God, please let me preach on something else. God, avoiding this is the better part of wisdom. God, it's really not a big deal. Not audibly, but clearly, God conveyed to me, go back and read Exodus 31 again. It may not be a big deal to you and to the American church, but it's a big deal to me. And God says, since I made you, and since I died for your rebellion and your flippancy regarding this sin and many others, could you just go read Exodus 31 again? In Exodus 31, God says the Sabbath is an eternal sign. He says it is to be kept forever. God tells Moses that the breaking of the Sabbath is a capital offense. This is not one to emphasize less. This is not one to be flippant about. This is not one to leave for another day. Now, of course, Jesus died for every one of our sins, including all of our breakings of the Sabbath. But it seems to me that we might want to let God have his say this morning in telling us what's really important to him. And so with all that being said, this is going to scare you, but it shouldn't. I have four shorter points this morning than normal. Okay, four shorter points. I want to show us the origin of the Sabbath day. This is primarily where I want to speak to those uh, who don't yet know that the Sabbath is applicable to humans now. Second, I, I want to show us the emphasis of the Sabbath commands. This is where I primarily want to speak to those of you who are undertaught on the Sabbath, and you just need to know what's the first thing to know regarding the Sabbath. Third, I, I want to show us the exceptions to the Sabbath commands. Uh, this is for those of you who grew up Sabbatarian and kept the Sabbath too strictly. You know who you are. And finally, I want to show us the encouragement to observe the Sabbath. For all of us, but most definitely for those of us with the massive gap between rhetoric and reality when it comes to the Sabbath. Okay? So first, the origin of the Sabbath. If you would, the, the text this week is in your worship folder. It's not on the insert. I'd ask you to look back, starting at the top, look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3 with me, uh, starting in verse 1. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So obviously verse 1 summarizes the preceding chapter, Genesis chapter 1, that chapter in the Bible uh, that tells us the story of God creating the world in six days. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. He Sabbathed on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. He set it apart. He consecrated it. He made it distinct. When everything was perfect, he made the seventh day holy because on it, God rested. He Sabbathed from all his work that he had done in creation. Now think, why did God rest? Did God need rest? Was God tired? Uh, Further, in Exodus chapter 31, that place where God tells Moses that this is the command I want you to observe above all other commands, in that passage, the Lord says this to Moses, in six days I created heaven and earth, and on the seventh day I rested and I was refreshed. Literally, I took a breath. God uses this Hebrew idiom for taking a breather, uh, for taking a break, uh, for being refreshed, for having a halftime orange slice. He, he takes this, this Hebrew idiom for filling his lungs up with air and being refreshed to talk about his seventh day. Now think, did God need a breather? Um, pardon the pun in advance, was he winded? I mean, was God doubled over breathing heavily because he had just spoken the world into existence across six days? No. Listen to Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. So why in Genesis 2, why rest? Why take a breather? Why receive refreshment? Who's standing next to God? Adam and Eve, the two people he just created in his image and said, imitate me. The two people that he said, I've created all this and now I want you to have dominion over this. Of course, God didn't need rest and refreshment, but as the creator and the designer and the God of those who would run his world, he knew that they needed rest and they needed refreshment every seventh day of their life. And so in Genesis 2, God is setting Adam and Eve this example. He's setting this creation rhythm of working six days and resting from their work on the seventh day. And so where does the Sabbath, where does this this start in the Bible? Does it start with the people of Israel after they're redeemed from Egypt? No. Does it start with the people receiving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20? No. Does Does it start with them entering into the land and learning about how to worship God there with the temple? No, it starts with the first two human beings in the Garden of Eden. This is huge. The Sabbath is part of God's original purpose for creation and for humanity. Before sin, before death, before the fall, before the curse, before the world was marred at all. God made holy, God set apart, God consecrated, God made distinct, God blessed the seventh day. What's the origin of the Sabbath? it is not in the formation of a geopolitical people called Israel. The Sabbath is rooted in the creation of all humanity. And God says, this is what's best for all of you. Now, second, upon that foundation, what's the primary emphasis of the Sabbath command? So again, if you're not familiar with the Bible's teaching on the Sabbath, what's the first thing you need to know about remembering or observing the Sabbath? 
This is it. In short, every seven days, God wants you to stop working. God wants you to receive rest. God wants you to give rest to any and all that you have influence over. Now, as you press into the teaching of the Bible on the Sabbath, you're going to learn in time that God also wants you to go to public worship. In time, as you press into the Scriptures, you're also going to learn that God wants you to do mercy on the Sabbath. You're going to learn that there's more to Sabbath keeping than just not working and receiving rest and giving rest to people you have influence over. But the overwhelming and primary emphasis of the Bible, I would say 90% of what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath is this, chill out. Stop working. Relax. Take a breather. (laughs) Look at Exodus 20. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. This is the next passage in your worship folder. Remember the Sabbath day, literally the resting day. Keep it holy. Sounds familiar. Then verses 9 and 10 describe what this remembering looks like. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a resting to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You and a whole list of people that you might have influence over. And then in verse 11, Moses gives, yea, the Lord gives the rationale for the Sabbath. And it takes us back to our first point. For, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, the resting day, and made it holy. Look again at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. The word labor doesn't show up in Genesis 1 through 3. Work that does show up in Genesis chapter 2 is, is in the Hebrew the same word for what God did in creation. Work is a very positive word in the Hebrew language. It's, it's a very positive word for someone's occupation, someone's calling. Work in, in God's world is very good. In fact, in God's world, the world without sin, we work six days really hard. Work is tiring, but work is satisfying. Labor, though, is the Hebrew word for toilsome, painful, and frustrating servitude. So in the Old Testament, labor is used to reference the painful side of work now that there's sin in the world. So not only do we need rest from work pre-fall, that is Genesis 2, that is before uh, sin entered into the world, we really need to rest now because our work isn't just tiresome, but there are parts of our work that are very difficult and very frustrating and very painful, like preaching on the Sabbath. That was a joke. Do you remember how Exodus 31 said that God was refreshed on the seventh day of creation? God specifically says in Exodus 23 that his goal for us in the Sabbath is that we would be refreshed. He wants us to have a one-day breather every seven days. So as you press into the teaching in the Bible on the commands, you're going to see the various commands regarding the Sabbath, and you're going to start with the fourth command, and you're going to see over and over and over the primary emphasis in the Bible is related to not working, to resting, and to giving rest to all those you have influence over every seven days. You're going to see this dominant focus and this emphasis over and over and over. You're going to see in Exodus 34, the Sabbath command is repeated again. And the Lord specifically says, I want you to observe the Sabbath during tax season. That is, plowing time and harvest. (laughs) And so he points at the two most intense seasons of work in the ancient Near East, and he says, even there, that is not a reason to skip this relaxing day that I want you to have. Tax season was another joke. Consider Exodus 35. 
In Exodus 35, there's this law forbidding the kindling of a fire on the Sabbath. You're like, what is that about? So, so Exodus 35 is not talking about lighting a match from Publix or using your lighter and lighting a fire. It's talking about that very difficult and labor-intense process of rubbing either wood or stones together to spark a fire. And so if you read the Bible, God said, sure, throw a log on the fire, but don't exert that much energy to start the fire. You get the point? Chill out. Relax. In Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah sees the people breaking the Sabbath. What are they doing? They're treading wine. They're bringing in heaps of grain from the field. They're carrying these various loads related to their occupations. And and, and Nehemiah says, I want you to stop profaning the Sabbath. And do you know what he uses as the motivation? He says, your ancestors, those ones taken into exile from which you have returned. The reason God sent them into exile is because they profane the Sabbath. And you're like, whoa, whoa. What about the adultery and the idolatry and the killing of little children as sacrifices? And Nehemiah is like saying it all all started with the profaning of the Sabbath. That's why Exodus 31 is really important to God. That's why we should probably stop working on the Sabbath. In Jeremiah 17, the Lord commands his people to not carry burdens in from the fields. And he's saying, don't do anything related to your work and your occupation and your livelihood. In the same command, in the same verse, he says, don't carry heavy burdens in and out of your house. So he's saying, I don't want you to do your work and I don't want you to to extend yourself unnecessarily doing chores around your house. Again, as you press into the command, it's not really about worship. It's not really about the people of Israel. It is really about just taking a break. And what's the point of the command? The Sabbath command to be observed, the Sabbath command to be remembered, the Sabbath command to be obeyed, you're 90% of the way there if you'll just stop working, chill out, receive some refreshment from the Lord, and make sure everybody under your influence is doing the same. And so while there's more, let's at least start there. Now, third, the exceptions to the Sabbath command. So once you realize that the primary emphasis of the Sabbath command is about work and rest, you can instantly see why all the violations of the command in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the violations mentioned in Scripture, all the potential violations mentioned in Scripture revolve around work and rest. This is the case in Matthew chapter 12. If you would, look back in your text in your worship folder. At the start of Matthew 12, there are these two stories of Jesus interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees over the Sabbath. And again, the argument's about work and rest. These same two stories of of Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field and of Jesus healing a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath of a withered hand, these same two stories are repeated in the exact same order in Luke chapter 6, back to back, and in Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3, again, back to back. And I would say to you that if you want to understand the Sabbath, you have to understand what the Bible says right here. This is huge. To give the Pharisees credit, they understood better than most of us that the Sabbath was a big deal to God. But with that being said, the Pharisees and the lawyers and the Torah and the scribes, they missed the main idea of the Sabbath, showing that you can care more about it than anyone else and still miss it. This is what they missed. The Sabbath is about rest and not work. The Sabbath is about receiving and not earning. 
The Pharisees, based on Exodus 31, Nehemiah 13, Jeremiah 17, etc., etc., they believed literally if they could get the entire nation to keep one Sabbath day holy, that God would send the Messiah to deliver them from Roman occupation. Literally, that's what they believed. That's why they're always fighting with Jesus about the Sabbath. If they could get Jesus and his followers to adhere to the Sabbath the way they defined it, God would come back in the Messiah and he would kick Rome out and paradise would ensue. But think about why they're upset. Okay, in the first story, Jesus and his disciples are walking through grain fields and his disciples pluck heads of grain. And according to Luke 6, they're rubbing the grain together, which is considered harvesting, and they're eating. And so it is not lawful to walk on the it is not unlawful to walk on the Sabbath. It is not unlawful to pick grain from someone's else field whenever you need it. What is unlawful on the Sabbath is what? Work and labor. And so the Pharisees, they see the disciples rubbing the grain between their hands, and they see that they're working, they see that they're harvesting, and they say, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And what is fascinating is that Jesus doesn't respond this way, you've gone too far. That is not work. What does he say? He basically says this, it's okay to break the Sabbath law if you're in need. All three Gospels mention that the disciples were very hungry, and Mark says they were downright needy. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, look, it's possible to break the law and not be guiltless, verse 5 and verse 7. And by the way, the reverse is also true. It's also possible to keep the law and be guilty, Pharisees. And so Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 7, quotes Hosea 6, 6, and he tells them, you don't know what it means. You don't understand what it means when God said, look, on the Sabbath, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is saying in the Sabbath command, I, the Lord of the Sabbath, desire to give mercy and rest and refreshment and relaxation to my people. And Jesus is saying, I don't desire for them to bring me sacrifice, for them to be dying, for them to be carrying the burdens of their life on this day. And so in the first story, Jesus said that, there, that there's an exception. There's an exception to the no work emphasis of the Sabbath. He said that, is, that exception is when people are in need and when work is needed to satisfy that need. You see, as soon as the law becomes more important than people, we become legalist. But as soon as the law serves people, we've lined ourselves up with Jesus. In Isaiah 58, we learn that God wants his Sabbath to be called a delight, a daintiness. God says, when you are really getting into my Sabbath and into my heart, you will look at that day and you'll say, that's a delight. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, it's true that I primarily don't want you to work and to harvest on the Sabbath, but if that command from me as God, if that's causing you pain instead of healing, then you should know from the scriptures that I've already told you that I want you to break the command. I mean, verse 5 and verse 7, it's possible to break the law and not be guilty. It's also possible to keep the law and be guilty. Jesus said this to them in the same story recorded in Mark chapter 2. He said, the Sabbath was made for the man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was made to serve man. Man was not made to serve the Sabbath. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 8, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You don't have to bow down to the Sabbath. You don't have to sacrifice your life to keep the Sabbath happy. I give you the Sabbath. It's for mercy and rest and refreshment and healing and life. You don't make the Sabbath happy. I want the Sabbath to make you happy. 
It is so possible. It is possible to be so fastidious. That means meticulous. It is possible to be so meticulous about the Sabbath that a person is worn out by it and a person is not refreshed by it. And Jesus is like, you've so missed my point about the Sabbath. If the Sabbath, your seventh day of resting, if that's not your favorite day of the week, you have not heard me yet. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will defend you. I will be sovereign Lord. Make it the best day of the week. Look at the second story of Jesus. He's healing this man on the Sabbath. Again, it's in Matthew 12, it's in Mark 3, it's in Luke 6. This time the Pharisees specifically asked Jesus. You get the sense that they put the man there uh, to, to, to tempt Jesus. He's a man of compassion. Let's tempt him. They say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I want you to note, they're not asking, is it permissible? But is it lawful feeling to, to heal and to have mercy and to be compassionate on the Sabbath. And again, Jesus says that we've missed the point of the Sabbath if we don't work, if we don't exert energy, if we don't get up and move in order to bring healing and mercy to those in need in our community on the Sabbath. In this instance, Jesus doesn't say it's a breaking of the law, but that you'll be guiltless of the spirit of the law if you do good on the Sabbath. He doesn't even say that it's permissible but not preferable on the Sabbath. He says in verse 12, and this is a sermon for another day in this series later on the displaying Jesus side of the equation. He says it's law-fulfilling to do good, to do benevolently, to heal on the Sabbath. And again, the primary emphasis of the Sabbath in the Scripture is this. Stop your work. Stop your labor. Stop the unnecessary and draining exertion of any energy. Receive rest from God. Receive refreshment and delight and recuperation and recovery. And give that same rest to any and all that you have influence over. Finally for this morning, the encouragement to observe the Sabbath. And what I want to do in closing is I want to think of every one of us, and I want every one of us to see that what we need in order to observe the Sabbath more biblically is that we need faith and trust and belief in God's love and in God's goodness and in God's wisdom and in God's salvation. If you would, look back at the passage from Exodus 20 in the worship folder. In verse 2, before God gives any of the Ten Commandments, he says this, Before you obey me, I deliver you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before God tells his people to live in radically different ways from the culture around them, he says, I'm your creator, I'm your God, I'm your redeemer, listen to me. You can trust me. And so God is saying, not only did I create you and I know what you need as a human, I graciously saved you and I know what I want for you as my beloved child. And what is lacking between our rhetoric and our reality is faith and trust and belief that God is good and God is loving and God is powerful. If you would, look back at the passage from Matthew 12, verse 14. After teaching the Pharisees, after defending his disciples, after mercifully, lovingly uh, healing the man, after being the greatest protagonist in any movie ever, verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him? Well, he's not going to do what we want. We've got to get rid of him. 
And so Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord who gives good gifts to his people, Jesus, as this perfect human who teaches and heals and defends and cares, Jesus, as the one who is the only one who ever perfectly fulfilled the Sabbath command, Jesus is this one who, according to the plans of the Pharisees, dies the capital offense that we all deserve for breaking the Sabbath. Some of us break it religiously, trying to earn God's love through our Sabbath keeping. Some of us break it irreligiously, knowing that it's what, God's want, it's what God wants, but it's not what we want. Either way, Jesus is the sacrifice that gives every one of us mercy. What we all need to observe the Sabbath more biblically is more faith in Jesus. More faith in this one who loved us so much that he died for our, for our rebellion and he died for us. He died to have us. If this teaching is new to you, what will motivate you to make serious changes that are likely needed in your life? It is only in seeing that Jesus made you but died to have you. It is only in seeing that that you'll have the joyful motivation that you need to make drastic changes to the way you're living your life. Jesus said in Exodus 20, verse two, before you follow this command, get a hold of the fact that I redeemed you from slavery. Before you lean into the obedient side of our relationship, be overwhelmed by the salvation side of our relationship. If this teaching is different from what you've been taught, if this teaching is different from what you've thought, if this teaching is different from what you've been doing for a long time, what will motivate you to consider that, that you might need a change in your position, that you might need to live differently? If you're at all like me, you too need to see the radical grace of God. For me, when I realize that I've been holding a theological view and living out a particular way that is contrary to what the Bible teaches, when I find myself in that place or the chance that that might be true, there's an instinct in me to not look at it, to not care about it, to not want to talk about it. Because if I've been wrong and if I've been behaving wrongly, that says bad things about me. It is only when we come to grips with the fact that we're saved by sheer grace that we can keep going back, every one of us, to our theology and saying, I'm sure I'm wrong somewhere. My place in the Father's heart, my place in the Father's family, my place in the new heavens and new earth, my place as a child of God has nothing to do with how accurate my theology is or how good my life is. It has everything to do with God's sovereign grace and work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you even look at and wonder if you've held a, a, an incorrect position on this, I, I would just beg you, soak in the sheer and extravagant grace of God. What about me? What about us? What about those with the, the massive gap between rhetoric and reality? I've been thinking this for 20 years. I can't remember the last week I kept the Sabbath. What's going to close that gap? It's going to be faith in the gospel. I have to look at Jesus as divine and loving and wise and trustworthy. And I have to look at him and I have to see him and I have to say, he wants what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. He's inviting me into what's best for me. He already died for me. 
I need to trust Him. Will, will working less and really unplugging from my work cause me some anxiety and some worry? Sure. Will working less and really resting force me to come to grips with my lack of control in life? Sure. Will obeying the fourth commandment cause me at times to look less prepared and less perfect than I already look? Sure. Will working less and taking in refreshment for for 24 hours cause me in the short run to be less successful? Probably. But as I step into that great unknown of not being God, as I step into that place that will demand more faith than I've exercised so far, what do I need to encourage me in obedience? All that Jesus has already done and is doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that even here in this place of the Sabbath that we have our righteousness in you. We thank you that whatever it means to observe and to remember and to keep the Sabbath, whatever that means in the heart and in the life, you did it in your life. We thank you that after obeying perfectly this command and all others, you died the capital offense of the cross because me and my friends here have not obeyed, cannot obey, and will not obey. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to see that this is for our good. Would you help us to see that part of our salvation from sin and slavery and sadness is to obey you at your word and to follow your command? Would you help us to see who Jesus is for us and in us? Would you help us to see the freedom that comes in being yoked to you? our King and our Savior. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.